Hello and welcome to the History of Colonization. My name is Fidelity and this is episode 8 of the podcast titled Of Spies and Men. In today's episode, we're talking about the Spice Islands. But before we get to the Portuguese colonization of the Spice Islands, I want to first focus on the history of spices. Now remember when Vasco da Gama first landed in Calicut? Well, the two crewmen who first landed on the coast of Calicut said, we come in search of Christians and spices. Colonization itself was based primarily, in the start of course, on finding spices, trading in spices, and the competition for the spice trade. Now, I've mentioned again and again about the spice trade in previous episodes, but why exactly were spices so important? How were they used? What kind of history did they have in the medieval world? And why were they so popular to the point that European explorers and merchants were willing to travel for vast distances on the sea in search of them? It's sort of hard for us to imagine now with spices all over the world available in supermarkets and grocery shops But because they are so readily available, we can sometimes forget the vast distances they travel, or the routes they take, and the time, the sheer amount of time to get to our kitchens and plates. The use of spices in the West stretches back, way back to the Roman Empire. They used long pepper from North India in their dishes, cinnamon in their perfumes and wine, and cloves in incense and perfume. These would either come from the Silk Road, or from across the coasts of India and up to the ports in the Red Sea. Now, in the Middle Ages, spices were only available in Europe in dried or processed forms. And up until the 13th century or so, Europeans had no idea what fresh pepper or nutmeg or cloves looked like, or even how their plants looked like. And so there were very imaginative tales surrounding where these spices came from. For example, one tale about pepper goes as such. They believed that pepper in India grows on trees, which was gutted by venomous snakes, and so people thought that pepper was obtained by burning these trees in order to chase snakes underground in order to harvest the pepper, thus turning pepper from white to black. There were four major spices available at the time, namely black pepper, cinnamon, ginger, and saffron. There were also rarer spices like cloves and nutmeg, which were more expensive and imported from further abroad. Now, it's often been said that spices were used to preserve meat or they were used to cover up any rotting taste. But this is a misconception. First of all, spices don't actually do much to preserve meat compared to other methods, say salting or smoking or pickling. Meat also didn't spoil easily in the cool European climate, and it was also readily available and not rare enough to warrant constant preservation anyway. In fact, spices were much harder and more expensive to obtain than fresh meat. So, beyond the myth of preservation, spices were used for various different functions, the most obvious being cooking, of course, but they were also important in medicines and perfume making. Now let's start with food. So what is surprising about cuisine in the Middle Ages was the amount of spices used In fact, some of the imported spices used then are no longer found in European cooking. For example, galango has been found in recipes from the Middle Ages, which is often found in curries or Thai cooking nowadays. Long pepper also dropped out of European recipes in the 18th century, and these are just a few examples. You would be surprised at the variety of spices used in the Middle Ages compared to modern-day cooking. Other than cooking, spices were also used in making sauces. 
one popular recipe from the time called for black pepper, breadcrumbs, and vinegar. Spices were also used for wine, and they were used to cover the rather harsh and sour taste due to the lack of proper storage at the time. Other than cooking, spices were also seen to have medicinal properties. So, in the Middle Ages, the medieval body was understood as consisting of four humours. Now, humours was a sort of conception of the human body, dependent on internal fluids which had to be balanced out according to each person's natural state. And this is somewhat similar to how traditional Chinese medicine is practiced today. The focus is on balancing the hot and the cold in the body. So spices were seen as being hot, with pepper being the hottest spice. So for example, if you had a cold and dry complexion, spices which were hot and meat which was wet would be recommended. The consumption of spices was also highly dependent on the weather. So in hot weather, spices were not recommended for consumption, while in cold weather, spice food with cloves and pepper was highly recommended in order to regulate the body. In addition, spices were also used for medicinal perfumes and also for religious incense. And beyond the more practical functions of spices, they were also status symbols for the wealthy. Spices would be passed around in a spice platter on trays of gold and silver for guests, or food would simply be covered in spices. Prestige of spices in the Middle Ages was enhanced in a world where lands had not been fully mapped out. And so Asia, where most of these spices came from, was exoticized as the Orient, due to the mysterious origins of spices at the time. And because spices were grown in such distant lands, they were very expensive. Pepper was the cheapest spice, followed by ginger, which could go up to almost three times the price, while cloves and nutmeg could be up to 5 to 20 times as expensive. But this was not because the spices themselves were rare. They were abundant in the lands that they came from. This was because spices passed through many hands, and with Italian and Arab traders having a monopoly on the spice trade before it reached the rest of Europe, the retail price was often much more higher than the cost price. Also, with the end of the Reconquista, which was when the Spanish and Portuguese kicked out the Muslim rulers from the Iberian Peninsula, the Portuguese were also becoming increasingly unhappy with the Muslim monopoly on spices. And so there were voyages sent out to seek alternative routes and bypass this monopoly. And that's where you get people like Christopher Columbus and Vasco da Gama. Now that was a brief explanation of the functions of spices in the Middle Ages and a monopoly that the Spanish and Portuguese seek to surpass. After the break, we'll move on to the Portuguese colonization of the Spice Islands in 1512. In the last episode, I talked about how the Portuguese colonized Malacca, and how Alfonso de Albuquerque sent out an expedition to the Spice Islands eventually colonizing them in 1512. This is what we are going to be covering for the second part of this episode. Now, the Spice Islands are popularly known as the Moluccas in English, but this was appropriated from the original name, Maluku, which I will use for the rest of the episode. So, at the time Europeans, even those who were travelers and merchants along the trade route, had no idea exactly where the Spice Islands were. There were no European maps accurately depicting the Spice Islands. They relied on Asian navigators, such as the Arabs, Chinese, and Javanese, 
who had been there. And even so, locating the Spice Islands was a bit like finding a needle in a haystack. There were 16,000 islands in the Malay archipelago. And the Spice Islands that they were trying to find were tiny. So at this point, it might help if you look at the maps I've put up on my blog, hocpodcast.wordpress.com. This is a description of Maluku that I'm quoting from Jack Turner's Spice, A History of Temptation. Quote, The northernmost of those specks, referring to the islands, is the home of the clove in what is today the province of Maluku, in the easternmost extremity of Indonesia. Each of the five islands of the North Molucas is little more than a volcanic cone jutting from the water, fringed by a thin strip of habitable land. From the air, they resemble a roll of emerald witches' heads set down on the ocean. Ternate, one of the two principal islands, measures little more than six and a half miles across, tapering at the centre to a point more than a mile high. A mile across the water stands Tidore, Ternate's twin and historic rival, like Ternate, a near-perfect volcanic cone barely ten miles long. From the summit, it is possible to see the other three North Molucan islands marching off in a line to the south, Moti, Makian, and Bakan beyond. Together, they represent a few dozen square miles and millions of miles of islands and ocean. At the start of the 16th century and for millennia beforehand, they were the source of each and every clove consumed on Earth. Unquote. There are only five islands in the world which produce cloves, but Tanaid and Tidor were the main ones, and they were the symbolic centre of Maluku, and they dominated the other islands. The cloves found on those islands had many uses, and it was very valuable for different reasons. Local inhabitants would either preserve the fruit in sugar or pickle it in vinegar, while the powdered form was used for medicinal purposes. The Chinese used it for medicine and for flavouring, and in Europe, it was primarily known for its many health properties. It was believed that its essence could improve vision when applied to the eye, relieve colds when rubbed on the forehead, and when eaten, it could improve appetite and digestion. Nutmeg was also only found in Maluku. They were found on a group of tiny islands of around 17 square miles or 44 square kilometers called the Bandas, which was located in South Maluku. It could be found by sailing a week south from Ternate. What we know of pre-colonial Maluku is once again limited to archaeological sources, foreign records, and European travelogues. Maluku was an oral society with no written history or archives. They handed down their memories through short sayings, songs, and ballads. We do know that a group of cloves were found in a kitchen in a household dating back to 1700 BC in Syria, which tells us that Maluku had already been inhabited or that traders would have been there almost 3,000 years before the Portuguese arrived. Also, in the 3rd century, they appeared in Han Dynasty records too. But it was only with the rise of Malacca as a port city in 1400 that Maluku started to prosper. It also helped that the Sultans had converted to Islam in the late 15th century, which thus increased the number of Muslim traders going to Maluku or at least stopping by. And if you're interested in finding out more about pre-colonial Maluku, which I unfortunately don't have time to go into here, do check out Leonard Andaya's The World of Maluku. The link is in my WordPress. Maluku was far from major ports or trade routes, but with relatively nearby Malacca, the cloves and nutmeg could now be redistributed and sold, 
and so the rulers of Tanaid and Tidor had trading agreements with the Sultan of Malacca. Now these worked very well, until the Portuguese arrived in 1511 and disrupted this. So, in December 1511, Afonso de Abruqueque sent three vessels from Malacca in search of the Spice Islands, with Antonio de Abru in charge. They hired Malay and Javanese guides, who brought them to the Bandas, the southern islands with nutmeg and maize. The Portuguese brought back such a large number of nutmeg and maize from the islands that they ran out of space for cloves, and so Antonio would return back to Malacca with two of the three ships, leaving someone named Francisco Serrao in one ship to search for the northern spice islands and its cloves. Now, Serrao went through quite a bit to get to the spice islands. He and his crew were shipwrecked on a remote island, and they were spotted by Malay pirates, but they turned the situation to their advantage by hijacking the pirates' ship. Serrao finally made it to Ternate in 1512, when the Sultan of Ternate found out about the Portuguese shipwreck and sent envoys to bring the Portuguese to Ternate. The Portuguese were welcomed. Following the invasion of Malacca, there was a decline in Malay and Javanese traders in Maluku, especially with the destruction of the Javanese fleet in the Battle of Malacca. So the Sultan of Ternate reportedly told the Portuguese captain of Malacca, quote, I have heard that the king of Portugal helps all those kings who are one of him, thus enhancing their kingdoms. I want to say to you that in this land of Malacca, there is a trade in cloves, nutmeg, and maize and this kingdom is yours to command." Unquote. The Sultan saw that supporting the Portuguese traders would boost trade and the political standing in the region. On his part, Francisco Serrao assimilated in pretty well. He supported the Sultan of Ternate in their constant conflict against their rival island, Tidor. He married a local woman and eventually built a small fort and trading post on the island in 1522. He would stay in Maluku until he died, while constantly sending cloves to Portugal. But the Portuguese colonization of Maluku did not go unnoticed. This came to the attention of the Spanish, who became concerned that the Portuguese were infringing upon their rightful territory. Remember that they didn't have accurate maps back then. And so the Portuguese had gone so far east that the Spanish were convinced that the Portuguese had actually gone past the line of the Treaty of Tordesillas, which I covered in episode 2. Now to recap, the Treaty of Tordesillas cut the war into two, and it went through the eastern coast of Brazil, and so the west of that belongs to Spain, while the east belongs to the Portuguese. And if you extrapolate this line to the opposite side of the globe, Maluku would in fact fall into Portuguese territory. But the problem was that neither Spain nor Portugal could agree on which side it fell on. So in 1524, they signed another treaty that divided the war into two across Southeast Asia. The Treaty of Zaragoza. This was based upon the question of Maluku. Now, it didn't divide the earth equally into two. Portugal actually took more of the earth. But they were finally able to legitimize their claim to Maluku. So to conclude, in this episode, we talked about the history of spices in the Middle Ages, how they were used for food, for medicine, as a status symbol, and how its high prices led to the Spanish and Portuguese attempting to break out of this monopoly. In the second part, I talked about how the Portuguese colonized the Spice Islands in 1512, with the Spice Islands being the only source of cloves and nutmeg in the world. Now, as a side note, you might find that the colonization of the Spice Islands was somewhat less violent than the colonization attempts I've covered in the previous episodes. But in subsequent centuries to come, 
there would definitely be violence in Maluku as European colonization expanded in Southeast Asia. So this marks the end of the episode, and in the next episode, I'll be covering Ferdinand Magellan, who's a pretty interesting figure. Please do follow this podcast on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. Do also check out my blog, hocpodcast.wordpress.com for further readings and sources and maps. And also do follow me on Twitter at hoc_pod. Thank you so much for listening and see you soon.